Like when we visited the Aita community, the pictures were really nice too through the film camera. Dope. We'll check it out. And well, welcome. <laughs> we are now rolling. Nice. Welcome to the Filipino garage, which isn't a garage anymore because we are not in the old studio, but welcome. You are now in the Filipino dorm. <laughs> It's a really nice dorm. <laughs> Thank you. It is a single. It is worth mm -hmm. the work. Um, and I am grateful to actually have it. Um, mm -hmm. Could you give us a little context right now? You are Raquel mm -hmm. and you are going to share with us what? Yeah, so my name is Raquel and I'm a third year at UC Berkeley. Um, what's, your, what's your major? Studying social welfare. Oh, that's a cool major. Yeah, right I, know, I know someone else is doing it. Ooh. Um, but yeah, Queer Chris invited me onto the podcast to talk about my experience in the Philippines just because I also haven't had time to unpack everything myself. So I feel like this podcast will be helpful in that way and also get to like share my experiences with everyone else so just in like general context um mm -hmm. you went on an exposure trip mm -hmm. with kabataan yeah kabataan alliance this yeah. last summer 2018 yeah from i think we stayed there for a little over three weeks um from i think the second week of july to the first week of august so it was a pretty long trip mm -hmm. and then what was like the purpose and everything um, the purpose, at least my personal purpose, was just to um, really see all of the issues going on firsthand. Because it's different when like you're looking in or like hearing about all of these things through the textbook or through mm -hmm, like a professor mm -hmm. or through the news. Like I wanted to see it for myself firsthand. And I know Kabataan Alliance just does this yearly and annually. So um, you actually um, and Elizabeth have like convinced me to go on the trip so that's what really pushed me to go on it i remember being really nervous mm, like i'm mm, like oh mm. is this something that i really want to do i also had that dilemma where it was like i'm filipino american so why do i care about the issues out there you know what made you kind of make that decision to go like where was that mm. initial interest mm. and then how did that become like finally a decision to go I think this is a very like common narrative among like Filipino Americans but growing up like I've never truly felt Filipino or like I didn't even know what it meant to be Filipino yet alone Filipino American so like I mean I was exposed to the food the language but anything deeper or further than that like it never got to that point so um, it was when I got to college where I actually had the opportunity to be around people who were Filipino identifying. Um, I come from Pittsburgh, California, so um, that city is really diverse in a sense where like I was surrounded by like POC, but not there isn't a really big or strong Filipino community out there. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, so I mean, there was a Philam club, but I wanted to distance myself away from the culture, so I didn't really join. The club either but when i got to college i think that's when i started being homesick and like i feel like your culture are remnants of home so that's what i was kind of looking for so i was like doing you know my research about uc berkeley and like what types of clubs are being offered because i was just finding i was just trying to find a community out here because um, the university is really big um 
So I like looked it up and like I saw that there was eight different pill orgs. I'm like, that's pretty intense. So I ended up joining PAA through um, the fall internship program. I think it was my first year, like my first semester here. So it was like fall 2016. So um, PAA shout out is Filipino American Alliance. Yeah, it's Philippinex now. Philippinex, yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. So Philippinex American Alliance and it's it's 50th year, but yeah, like I ended up interning for this them. This year is a 50th year? Mm-hmm, 50th oh, year. Oh, 2018. Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, the third World Liberation Front is 50 years old. Oh. Yeah. So, so was PA because it was founded from the uh, Was movement. it founded in this fall semester? The PA? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it was, so it was 68. When yeah. When it was founded. Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. But yeah, I ended up interning the fall semester and I distinctly remember like just being at the first intern meeting and the topic of discussion was uh, overseas Filipino workers. Mm. Um, and I mean, my dad was an overseas Filipino worker too. Like he worked in Saudi Arabia when he was 18 to like provide for his family back home in the Philippines. But I didn't really understand or like got to really know like what it meant to be an OFW or like what they even were, like what the significance of it was. Um, so I remember like just walking in and like, instantly feeling like welcomed because mm. um, I was a late intern so I like came in late and they already had like um, intern meetings um, and that's when I think I really knew that this is a community for me because I was surrounded by folks who were like-minded and also like um, they had similar backgrounds um, yeah they had similar backgrounds to me and I never felt like that like I've always felt kind of outcasted um, so I felt really welcomed and that's when I really wanted to be involved in the pill community, which is why I like stuck with PAA and like I'm still trying to be more immersed in the community. Um, but then from there, that sparked my interest with like just learning more about like what it does mean to be Filipino, like more of the history and what like what happened in the Philippines. Like no one really talks about it, or like at least my parents they don't talk about like the Marcos regime because they lived under it. Um, they don't really talk about it or like life, what life was like back mm, in the Philippines mm -hmm. before immigrating. Um, so that pushed me to explore even more. Um, so I ended up taking or enrolling in a class um, about Filipino American history. And I took it with Catherine Choi um, and she's a professor here. And she was the first uh, Filipino tenured professor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so I took a class with her and she talked a lot about um, colonialism and that was the first time I've ever heard about really yeah Spanish and American colonialism in the Philippines like I've never heard of that. Um, Damn and then how old were you? You were 18 or 19? I was 19 at the time because it was last year so I lived 19 years of my life not knowing that. Um, so you never knew that like Spain colonized the Philippines? Never. Like that? Damn, no. what was that like experience then? It oh. was really weird just because it's a lot of unlearning I think when you're learning about like your own history because then when you at least with like the American er education system like it's very whitewashed or like there's a lot of things that are hidden um, and you won't get that type of education until you go to college, I think. Or at least that's like a similar experience with other folks. Um, so it was really like, it made me kind of, it made me, it definitely made me angry, but also really confused just because this was all new information. And like, I remember back in high school, the only time the Philippines was ever referenced was 
Um, I think like during World War II, I'm not sure for why. I think it was because of like um, the plantations in Hawaii, but um, that was like the only time I like the Philippines was ever covered in my history books. Mm. But like going to college and like taking that class with Catherine Troy, that's when I really learned about colonialism, the impacts of imperialism. Um, also like why are there so many nurses or like mm -hmm, Filipino mm -hmm. nurses in the United States? Like I really got to get, or like I got to learn the historical backing of everything and like really contextualize it. Um, and that's what really motivated me to go to the Philippines because um, I felt a certain way when I was like learning about all of these new topics, you know? So it's like, oh, like, yeah, I know all of this information, but what am I doing with it? Mm -hmm. And also with mm -hmm. like PCN too, like I've been involved with PCN for three years now. And it's like, yes, we're portraying important, important narratives and like starting up important dialogue. But it's like, it, I feel like PCN usually ends once the performance ends mm. and I really wanted to take the performance beyond the stage so that's why I decided that this was a good point in my life to go out to the Philippines and really see it see the issues myself firsthand um just because yeah I have all this knowledge and then like I gained every, like all of this information but now it's time to put that into action and try and actually do something was that your first time in the Philippines my first time in the Philippines when, was when I was, I think, five years old. But that was only to visit, like, family. Like, my family's from Pampanga. Um, and they live in, like, a really small town. It's called Bagung. Like, even if I, like, tell other people where they're from, they don't know where it is. That's how small it is. Um, so the only thing that I remember from that trip was just being around family and it being very, like, happy and joyful. But comparing it to my experience now, like, I see that they're are multiple layers to the Philippines mm, like it's very yeah. um, complex and it, I definitely I'm thankful that I was able to go on the sex trip just because um, I think it's different when you're an adult and you like see and experience the Philippines like as someone who's grounded in their identity too so what was it then like step me through step me through bring <laughs> us back on a little flashback <laughs> to like that process of mm -hmm. like you you study mm -hmm. imperialism you study colonialism and then you get this opportunity to go with kabataan mm -hmm. right and so just shout out for context for folks kabataan alliance is like national uh, youth uh, focused coalition um and they send yearly folks to go back on mm -hmm. these exposure trips what what do you remember like a certain point or like a feeling when you made the decision to go mm -hmm. on that like in the, that initial point? Mm -hmm. What was that like? Um, I remember it was so we had like meetings leading up to the trip uh, with Pat actually. Hey, shout out mm -hmm. episode so. something. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, he was our regional director. So he was the one who like interviewed me, read my application um, and he facilitated the meetings leading up to the trip. And um, I remember like finances were an issue. Um, and I was like talking to him about it. I'm like, hey, like I know it's kind of late in the game. Like it was, I think May or June-ish um, where I was like, I might have to back out because of finances. And so he was like, that 
that's like a reasonable reason to like want to back out or like need to back out from the trip but after like really thinking about it and like talking to my parents i'm like i don't i really don't want finances to be a reason why i don't go on this trip you know mm, like because mm. it was something that from the start like from the get-go when i was talking to you and liz like i wanted to go on this trip like this is something that i really want so i didn't want money to get in the way so like i remember being really upset for a really long time just because i mean there were fundraising opportunities but i think me and my cohort kind of started too late so it was really difficult to like raise money in that way um but i was also busting my ass off like working extra hours at starbucks to try and pay this trip off on my own and i was able to pay the program fee on my own uh through working but then i ended up talking to my older sister um and she ended up paying for my um my ticket there hey shout out out there yeah so <laughs> she like it was so funny because i remember the night where i was um I was like, I'm such a bratty person sometimes. Like I'm very stubborn and kind of bratty. Um, and I remember she was home and I was home too for like a weekend. Cause she's not, she doesn't live with my parents either, but we were all home. And I remember like, she was saying like, if you really want to go on this trip, like I can lend you the money, but I'm stubborn and I wanted to earn the money on my own. So I'm like, nah, like it's, it's all good. Like I just won't go on the trip. And like, I remember my parents were like, you like you need a good reason why you want to go on this trip because right now it doesn't seem like you do um so like i just started crying and my sister saw how much it meant to me so she lent me the money um but at that point like finances were out the, were out of the way and i was talking to pat again about like my decision like do i really want to go on the trip like i have the money now but do i really want to go and i was talking to him about his experience and like what made him want to go and i think that's what pushed me because um, he said something that really like hit me. He said that um, this was just a really, really good point in his life. And if he doesn't go on this trip, like he might miss out on like a really good opportunity and like an eye-opening mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, yeah, I feel like I already had it in me where it was like, I already knew it was going to be life-changing. So I think that's what really, like finances aside, I think my conversation with Pat really pushed me to like actually like, be solid with my decision just because like yeah this was i think back then um it was a like looking back it was a really good point in my life just because i was grounded in my identity like i was proud i was finally proud to be filipino and mm. filipino american too so it's like and then i knew or like i had a lot of knowledge on like filipino history and like contemporary issues going on so i was like at a really good point where it was like okay yeah let's Let's see this firsthand. So, what made you feel grounded in your Filipino identity and Filipino American? It was actually the pill community here, which mm. is um, I don't want to say it's a cliche, but it's true. Um, I think without like trust me, like coming in as a freshman, I would have never guessed that I would be involved like this involved within the pill community because again, like growing up, I was very distant from the like the culture even the people like i didn't want any filipino friends why why do you think that was i'm not entirely sure i feel like it has to do like if i like really think about it like i've been these are like certain like like dialogue that i have within myself or like conversations that i have with myself like why did i hate being filipino like i want to know the source of that mm -hmm. and i think like some of like some of the reasons why like if i like really dig deep is my my mom it came a lot from my mom. Uh, she, I remember growing up, she would um, 
buy like papaya soap mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and like she would bathe me as a child so like she would just be using that like what is this orange soap and she was <laughs> she was like it's just to make your skin lighter i'm like why like i was confused as a child and like i remember she would pick me up from elementary school and she would bring like an umbrella and it would be sunny out i'm like why are you bringing an umbrella like it's not even raining she's like you're gonna get dark and even till this day like i remember coming back to the philippines she was like you're dark blah 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 like you're ugly now and i'm like mm. yeah so i think a lot of it had to do with my my mom's behavior and like her attitude towards just darker skin but that's also associated with like being filipino you know mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and also i think this is also like a very common narrative but like bringing your like lunch to school too like i remember my mom brand or she brung like i think it was synagogue to school oh that's yeah good. and then yeah i was like during my lunch break for elementary school and then i remember like kids were like what are you eating blah 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 like get that away from me and like i love I, like i grew up in daily city from uh, my childhood so i was uh, so confused because like filipino is such yeah, a heavily yeah. populated like filipino yeah. community but like yeah, I got those types of comments and I guess as a child, like you internalize that and as I grew older, I think it just like, it shaped me into the person that I am today. Um, definitely like I'm glad that I went through those trials, but yeah, I definitely came a lot from my mom and also just like from like peers and also I think the system too, just because yeah, yeah. I remember being in my ESL classes too, like English as a second language because I think as my parents, when they're filling out my school paperwork, they listed Tagalog as our, um, like our main dialect back home. Um, and I guess like the administration saw that as like, I don't know, something to fix. So I was put into ESL classes and I remember my parents were saying, or like my auntie was telling me that I used to be very fluent in Kapampangan when as a child, really? but after going through the ESL classes, I guess like I lost that tongue. Um, which is really sad because I wish I was fluent in it. But do you it still was, understand? I do understand it, but I can't speak it unless oh, I try really okay. hard. But at least you understand. Yeah, but yeah. it was also just a weird... Now that I look back, it's just a, such a weird thing to go through, especially since the te my ESL teacher was Filipino herself. Ooh. So it was just like erasing my language, but also like that's her language too. Yeah, so why... Yeah why was the system set up like that yeah. i don't know when i look back at it it's like that's kind of weird and really sad, sad. Yeah. yeah it's like replicating the erasure of the culture and yeah just because of mm -hmm. that's how the system is set up and mm -hmm. uh from folks that i've even talked to like they uh esl folks or admin would tell the parents yeah. not to speak the language anymore mm -hmm. so it still replicates yeah. versus other uh, maybe other cultures that are able to retain it through just mm -hmm. strong usage mm -hmm. at home and it's not even like filipino students being affected either like mm -hmm. if your parents list like spanish as like your main dialect or language at home like you're going to be placed in esl regardless of whether or not like your english test scores were perfect like mm -hmm. i had perfect english test scores like english was has always been my strongest point so it was very weird to be placed in an esl class. oh even if you had really good mm -hmm. english scores mm -hmm. they put you in esl yeah regardless like if your parents list a different language other than english on your paperwork like you're placed in an esl class and it takes away from your actual education because yeah. like they pull you out of class to be in those classes yeah mm -hmm. yeah 
I remember I was placed in it too in middle school when I yeah. first got here. And then I was looking around like, why are we doing these workbooks yeah. that are super mm -hmm. simple? I'm like, mm -hmm. am I, is this right? Like, mm -hmm. did you give me the right uh, packet? Yeah. Like, dog, fruit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's very, at least when I look back at it, it's very belittling too mm. as like a child. Because then, I mean, I had like, going back to like English being my strongest point, like, was I dumb? Was I like not getting this? Like, do they not see like how hard I'm working? Like, I don't know. It was just, it's very weird looking back at that experience and it makes me really angry, but I'm glad. I think they don't have ESL anymore, mm. which I'm happy about. So do, do you all still speak it at home? Like up in Bangan? Mm -hmm, my yeah. mom and my dad do. Um, and my, all of my aunties and uncles do too, which is nice. Like it's nice being home. Because and like, like hearing the language yeah and like i that. think that's what i miss because yeah. i started taking um tagalog classes and i mean my parents can speak tagalog but it's not what they speak at home mm -hmm. but just even being around that and around like i have teacher joy yeah. so like just being around that type of personality is very like it reminds me so much of home which is why like it being around it it's comforting you know i gotta say Filipino class is one of my favorite classes in the mm -hmm. day because yeah we're working on like tasks and like the lessons it but it feels like a legit family and just a hangout yeah. mm -hmm. and I have uh, at the Karen and mm -hmm. then it's just hella fun yeah I just they get more of my jokes too <laughs> I feel like my Filipino jokes come out and like I can do the Tagalog mm -hmm. jokes and everything I'm like yes yeah. <laughs> I'm finally at home yeah it's like talking to a relative yes back home yes, so yes. it's always like a good time mm -hmm. when you decided to go on the kabataan uh did your parents have any worries in terms of like political things like that yeah what is that? they did it was um that was their main concern um but my parents luckily like they've always supported me in um activism like i've always been the type of student or like the type of person to just like um be in the front line of everything when it came to like social issues like i was always volunteering tutoring like just trying to help like marginalized groups um so they're always supportive because they knew it was like a passion of mine which is nice but i know where their concern was coming from because i mean they were born and raised in the philippines like mm -hmm. that's their home mm -hmm. so they know it better than me um but yeah my i remember my mom like i remember the itinerary was still very like up in the air um for the trip but one of the regions we were going to visit was Mindanao. Mm -hmm. And I think there's like a lot of um, militarization over there. There's, there's still um, martial, martial law. law yeah. Um, so my mom and my dad knew about that. And once I said Mindanao, they were like, no, you can't go on this trip. Um, and then they're also like, I'm very outspoken when it comes to like my own political views, whether it be like American or like, or like about the American government or about the Philippine government. Like I'm very outspoken. Um, but something that they told me was like, keep your mouth shut when you're in the Philippines because you don't know what's going to happen to you if you say the wrong thing to the wrong person. Um, so that kind of shook me a little bit just because, I mean, we have the privilege over here to an extent where we could talk about our political views and our opinions, but out there, there is the possibility of like getting kidnapped or red flagged by the government. So that really, that kind of scared me a little bit, but um, I'm glad I took that advice because even when you're going through the through like the immigration or like the mm -hmm. TSA, like they ask you like, why are you here in the Philippines? You know, you can't say like, oh, I'm here for like the people Sona. <laughs> you can't be saying that. So I'm like, oh, I'm visiting family. Um, 
but yeah that was like one advice that they gave me and i'm glad i like took it because i when i was in the philippines um there are a lot of students who are telling me about their experience of like being red flagged because mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. their work in activism in the philippines so um i think it was interesting to see that difference between here and there when it comes to like freedom of speech and like being able to fight for your rights i think we're very privileged over here for sure definitely like i've i've definitely seen the impact of activism where mm -hmm. you're targeted as being an activist in the mm -hmm. philippines and it's almost though what i realize a lot of people go into activism they're more so because of the necessity yeah a lot mm -hmm. of people are really pushed because that's the only way mm -hmm. that they really see the possibility yeah here we have a little bit more privilege to kind of somewhat be detached mm -hmm. from some of the bureaucratic things that's going on in the political system mm -hmm. i mean we're still affected yeah definitely and especially marginalized groups are targeted such as like undocumented folks and immigrants mm -hmm. but there's still a big difference in comparison i think to like the repercussions of activism in the philippines yeah it was um that was a like my during my trip in the philippines it was my first time being exposed to like um like militant that militant approach mm. uh, to activism like it was my first time being exposed to it and like learning about it and like come like when i was first like learning about it or like exposed to it in the philippines i was like i don't understand why like why Could you explain what your perspective definition of militant uh, mm -hmm. activism and then what kind of mm -hmm. what you saw to mm -hmm. be militant activism and then continue with your um reaction yeah. to it um so i for me at least um being like militant activism is using force um or like having weapons on you um to be to like fight for your rights um as opposed to like the more like protesting approach like peaceful um so i was like exposed exposed to that because i heard about the new people's army in the philippines and that's also like a new group that i like never knew about um i only heard about it through like my aunties and uncles saying like oh they're like dangerous they're they're not fighting for the right thing um they're a threat to the country that's like all i heard about um but when i came to the philippines and like specifically with the nutri asia workers where i was like really exposed to that type of i guess rhetoric um that's when like my initial reaction was like i don't understand why like because then over here like you when you protest you want it to be peaceful because mm -hmm. i mean violence is should never be the answer but um i think in the philippines that's when i really knew that like what you were saying like it's their only means to survive you know like they're they don't want to be militant but they have to be in order to like get their demands heard um and that's what i saw in the philippines like a lot of young students that i met were like down to be a part of the new people's army like they're willing to just like cut all ties with family and friends just to join and i never i like i still can't comprehend that but to an extent i can understand and like empathize with them because um if they don't go through that then they f i feel like that was their very last option so mm. they were pushed into it mm. um in order for their conditions to be right um i remember there is this one thing that really stuck with me that a student said but um he was saying that 
he's willing to drop everything and like cut all ties with everyone in order to improve the Philippines because it's not only him inheriting the future, but it's also future generations. Like I think um, the younger generation in the Philippines is for sure, like they're very agitated and very tired of everything, um, which is why they've become militant because the government is unresponsive mm. and nothing is getting better. Um, so they resort to being militant. So I understand why, but for me, like being in America where I don't have to really think about that, it's like, I understand you, but I don't at the same time. Mm. Mm -hmm. It's like, you can do your best to be empathetic and to like understand mm -hmm. their position, but like, I'm not pushed to it here, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. Like, even if I'm not, even if I'm working for like 13 dollars an hour i'm still able to get through mm -hmm. like life without yeah. direct mm -hmm. violence mm -hmm. unless it's like really in bad situations mm -hmm. but there yeah. it's like an everyday especially in the rural areas like mm -hmm. the state repression is very strong and mm -hmm. violent in that mm -hmm. sense i definitely vibe with you because i've mm -hmm. definitely felt that feeling of like whoa this is a lot for me but also mm -hmm. kind of being cognizant of how i was raised here yeah. and like the mm -hmm. rhetoric of mm -hmm. non-violent protest mm -hmm. has been pushed on mm -hmm. as the kind of totem mm -hmm. of yeah. how i or ideal mm -hmm. of um, activism and things like that yeah it reminded me of kind of like the methods that the Black Panthers use compared mm -hmm. to like the methods mm -hmm. of like Martin Luther King Jr. Like mm -hmm. Martin Luther King Jr. was seen as like a peaceful protester while like Malcolm X was very intense and violent. Mm -hmm. um, so I like use that comparison to try and like understand and like wrap my mind around it. Um, but to this day, like it still is really something that I'm trying to grasp because um, these are like folks who are like willing to risk their lives for the country you know mm -hmm. in order to improve their conditions um but i think at least for me it should never be that it should never get to that point you know mm -hmm. um and it's really disheartening to see that the philippines and like its government is pushing people to like do that you know so it's more so not a criticism of the militancy mm -hmm. but a criticism of the system that has pushed people to believe that this is their only path yeah uh, mm -hmm. because they have tried other methods mm -hmm. and other ways mm -hmm. of activism and enacting change but mm -hmm. have been met by corruption and violence yeah. and mm -hmm. things like that mm -hmm. it is it's more it's more of like the symptom to the illness yeah right and then the illness being the histo history of oppression and mm -hmm. the just corruption and exploitation of the working class yeah in the philippines mm -hmm. that like it was a lot it's a lot in, yeah. it's a lot it was especially really your first like outside of family trip yeah. to the philippines mm -hmm. and it was with it was specifically with the Nutri Asia. Why don't we look over yeah. some pictures and then you can tell me, tell me, tell a little <laughs> background, give a little context right now mm -hmm. of what's going on in Nutri Asia. What was, um, mm -hmm. like, what's the story behind that for folks who may yeah. not know anything about Nutri Asia? Mm -hmm. So, Nutri Asia is basically a monopoly corporation where they dictate or like they make all of the condiments in the Philippines. So like Jufron, like the banana ketchup and everything, Datu Puti, they make all of those condiments. Mang um, Tomas? Yeah, even oh, Mang Tomas. Oh, Mang Tomas, yeah. why Nutri Asia? 
I love Mark Tomas, but why you mm-hmm. gotta be like this? Yeah, so um, they're a very big monopoly, um, and so the workers basically were on strike to fight for better rights mm. or like better conditions because they were only being paid 380 pesos per workday, so per eight hours, and if they needed to work more or if they worked overtime, they weren't paid overtime. Um, so that's 380 that's around seven dollars yeah if you convert it to like u.s to dollars, US dollars. Mm-hmm. and this is in manila um where we went was the mega plant in uh bulacan mm. yeah i forgot what the city was called um but it was in the bulacan area mm-hmm. and so so for just for context mm-hmm. so that's six dollars seven dollars that's a day um yeah. the minimum not even per wage, hour not even per mm-hmm. hour the minimum wage in manila is technically 500 mm-hmm. a day so they're making less than that also mm-hmm. um and you said they're working eight hours a day and if you, if they work overtime they don't get paid overtime mm. um and then the working conditions were also really rough like it was very hot in the in the mega plant also um they got on top of like really low wages um they had deduct deductibles on from their paycheck so like they were responsible for paying for the safety gear for when they had to work it wasn't provided by the corporation so they had to pay for their own gear um and also with the health benefits they were getting health insurance but very minimal like coverage so they would have to go out to like a specific clinic and like if they had like a specialized disease or illness it wouldn't be treated um and like i also learned throughout my time in the philippines access to healthcare mm. is very limited mm-hmm. um it, like it's very weather dependent too and just like the cost of it like what's what gets covered like it's nothing to meet your basic needs to survive as a person it's basically if you have money you can get healthcare. Yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's basically it and mm-hmm. it's really just more so for middle upper middle class people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's no uh wide healthcare plan Mm-mm. or even things that are covered by the your employer. Yeah. Right? Even if it's covered by an employer like it's barely anything, barely anything. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us these pictures let's start off <laughs> so that's me that's you <laughs> this was i think during one of the general assembly meetings um this is at their physical picket line which is no longer up because it got violently dispersed um but we were able to sit in we were actually there for a whole week because mm. we were stormed in because the weather was really bad so we couldn't go to the other community but oh. they were yeah they were nice enough to house us for that long um, so the context of Kabataan exposure trips like mm-hmm. this is you stay with communities that mm-hmm. you're visiting. Yeah, so you basically um, do what they do mm-hmm. on a day-to-day basis just to see what their everyday life is like. Um, so we got to see the everyday life of the picket line of the Asia Strikers. Um, so I, th- I think this is during a general assembly meeting, which is really cool to see. Um, what happens? So it was inter- we were at an interesting point during the strike because... Um, I think workers were losing their morale um, because I know from the General Assembly meetings there was a lot of discussion and anger um, towards like workers who weren't showing up at the picket line because um, in order for a picket line to stay up and like 
be able to run efficiently, there needs to be multiple people doing multiple like different roles. So like for example, like there is one worker who specifically like is dedicated to um, surveillance. So like they would sit outside and like, cause there's like police lined up outside of the picket line. So there is someone designated to like watch that police line to make sure like nothing um, escalates or nothing happens. Um, but it was the same worker continuously, like for days on end. So he was just there and he, he was very angry because he's like, where's my support from the other workers? Why are we not switching roles? Um, so I think when we were at the picket line, it was very low morale. Workers were getting tired. Um, I mean, they were on strike since I think June something and we were there in July. So they've been on strike for a like while. A month. Yeah. So workers were getting tired because there was like there was nothing being done their demands weren't being met um and i can understand why but during those general assembly meetings they were heated like it was very interesting so to see. were they heated uh in terms of they just they wanted to stop the strike and go back to work like that or heated still against nutria asia i think a mixture of both but mostly just no support from other workers because mm. it was the same workers doing the same work on a day-to-day -day basis receiving like no breaks or anything so it was just the same workers putting in the work uh, compared to like workers who were also on strike but not physically there mm. at the picket line mm. helping um, do you understand Tagalog also I don't so mm. it was really difficult um, I wish like I was fluent because um, a lot of things get lost in translation yeah, yeah. Um, but I was Thankfully, like folks from like in my group were able to translate for me during the General Assembly meetings. Um, but something that I appreciate about the General Assembly meetings was that um, the members are very transparent with what they wanted and what they felt. Um, and I don't think I've ever experienced that, especially being like involved in the pill community. I think everyone kind of knows what the issues are, but we don't attack them directly. But with mm. them, I saw instant change. So like um, once someone expressed anger about like being the only one doing surveillance, they came up with a system where um, they decided to switch off like every two or three hours. Um, so once like the day before or the night before it was discussed, then the next day change was implemented like right then and there. So I thought that was really interesting to see how like change happened that fastly. Mm -hmm. Do you hear that? Yeah, okay. I heard that. <laughs> Is that from outside on my <laughs> residence being noisy? <laughs> but so who was running the like meetings to the picket lines and things? It was actually him. Oh, this? In the tank top. His name is oh. William. Um, I'm not sure. If oh, this one, the one wearing the six? Yeah, that's mm. him. Actually, he ran the General Assembly meetings. Um, I know there is for the um, union that they have, there's a president and a vice president. I'm not sure if he had a position, but he was the one, run, he was the one facilitating the meetings. Mm. Um, but I think he just had the personality for it. Like he was very stern, very transparent. And he had this very like, not dominant presence, but he was very like, he could easily like move a crowd, mm. Mm -hmm. mm. which is why I think they delegated that task to mm. him. Mm. And so these are some of the signs. Yeah, so like it was raining really hard and like the roof was just tarp plastic tarp oh and, and the sagging there because of the water yeah and like mm. it ended up puncturing um so this is um some of the workers and some of the the people from my group trying to fix the roof um because the picket line is essentially outside mm -hmm. like um and they just built that all of this through like labor which was really impressive 
And then they sleep here. They all, yeah. Well, like the thing with the another thing that I got to like learn through this experience was um how extreme strikes can be. I mean, I don't know. I don't have any experience with strikes here in the United States, but um, once you go on strike in the Philippines, or like this is at least with the case of the Nusha Asia workers, there's no source of income anymore. Like you're mm-hmm. not working mm-hmm. when you're on strike, so. You're basically not earning any money, and therefore, like, you can lose your home. Like, a lot of folks have lost their homes because of this strike because they couldn't pay their rent. So, a lot of them found a home within this picket line. Mm. So, there are a lot of workers sleeping there. Um, they get their meals from there, um, which is nice because different sectors of like Philippine society contributed to like the food being cooked. Like I know, fisher folk donated fish to them mm-hmm. um, in order to feed all the workers there. So yeah, like a lot of workers were sleeping there because they lost their homes. Mm. Oh, and this is me just taking notes. Uh, we did a lot of talambuhais, uh, which I really enjoy. Um, it was crazy because it was the very first day being there, and we got to do a t- talambuhai with um, the president, and it was so of the union. Of the union, yeah. Explain what a talambuhai is. It's basically like a life map or like just saying your life story. You can share as much as you want. An um, eco map? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> social welfare. Yeah, something like that. Um, and yeah, our very first Talambuhai was with the president of the union. His name's Jesse. Um, and he, it was really, it was a really weird experience because um, you think you're so different as a Filipino-American, right? Like your experiences are really different from those who are Filipino and live in the Philippines. But through this Talambuhai, I like realized like, no, nah, like we're not different. Like we're, we're Filipino regardless of whether or not we have that hyphenated identity. So he was sharing his experiences or like just his, um, like his life goal was just to improve his parents' conditions. You know, like he grew up um, with parents who were farm workers so they were very they're like the peasant class Mm -hmm. in the philippines um and when i was like tears were just running down my face because i really resonated with him because he was just saying like his everyday struggle was because he wanted to um have his parents life be better and his Mm. life his own life be better and i could really resonate with that because i mean the reason why i'm in college is because um i want to like help out my parents and support them financially and also like move up that social ladder, you know? Um, so that Talambuahe specifically got to me because it made me realize like we're not so different after all, you know? Like there's, it seems like there's a, like a bridge or a gap between us, but there's actually like, we're not different, you know? Mm. Like we share similar experiences even if we're living in different countries. That must have been powerful too. And you were just, also hearing the story through translation yeah it's through translation too and it was just yeah it was a very this is the first talambuhai too that i did so it was very powerful did y'all share your your talambuhais also um some of us did it was harder for so there's two folks including me who um couldn't speak tagalog as well so it was how big was your group it's we were a tight knit group tight-knit group so it was only five of us Mm. so there was three that could speak tagalog um pretty well like enough to get by and then two of us were like no like we can't speak and then those three would translate for Mm y'all and so they were able to share their talambuhais but with me i felt kind of uncomfortable just because they're again things get lost in translation so 
I didn't really get to share my life story, but again, we got to know each other on like a friendly level. So yeah, translating is a hard job. It is, yeah. Translating is weird.、Mm-hmm. It's so funny because when we were in the Ita community, they speak Kapampangan more、oh. than Tagalog. So I like the tables turned on me, and I had to translate. That's dope. It was super hard. Like I, I commend or like I like. Praise like all the people in my group who were translating for me、um, throughout the whole trip because like it's just hard because then you're trying to rewire your brain yeah, like yeah. what does that mean again? So、yeah. it's yeah, like it's you、hard. have to become a what's a good like a bridge definitely. But、mm-hmm. then if that bridge of like imagining a river flowing、mm-hmm. like it's got two dams, but、yeah. the idea is to lower the two dams so the water just flows.、Mm-hmm. Consistently,、yeah. but that's、mm-hmm. hard to、mm-hmm. do. I also didn't want like their meaning to, yeah, to, get, to get lost, lost. too, because、yep. yep. then it's like powerful hearing it in like Kapampangan, but it's like how do I like phrase that in English to keep the meaning, you know?、Mm. So it's really hard.、Yeah. I remember my first year, I was doing a lot of translating for the group, and it was also emotionally laborious. Where I would、mm-hmm. hear stories of trauma, and、oh, then、mm-hmm. I would have to say it again, like translate it. You actually remember, did that for me.、Um, huh? Did I? Yeah, remember for Pset? Oh, we were in、mm-hmm. the. Oh, when were you in the group when we were with the Nanai on the bench? I think the, it was when we were all back in the the that meeting in、room. the big room. Yeah. Yeah, and about the shooting. Yeah, there was a. There was a survivor、mm-hmm. of the war on drugs who was telling his story, and you had to translate that.、Mm-hmm. And I can only imagine how, yeah, emotionally taxing that can be.、Um, but it was also interesting because we got to sit like during the Nutri Asia,、um, like time or visit there.、Uh, we got to sit down on like a Marxist lesson,、mm. um, and it was weird because it was they were teaching Marx lessons through. Like Tagalog, and I've never like experienced that before. And then my my group, one of my group members, Kenneth, he was trying to translate it for me, but he was like, I can't because I don't know the、uh, Tagalog word for capitalism. And I'm like, it's fine. Like I learned about Marx back here, so. But yeah, it's really interesting. Like the whole like,、um, just that whole process of translating. What was so interesting about the Marxist lesson,、mm-hmm. like in terms of、mm-hmm. what you saw and how that experience was of just observing it was, that? It was really interesting because、um, what I really appreciated with、um, so the reason why like the Nutri Asia workers、um, created a union was because they were getting these types of lessons by like I think it was the Workers Movement for Change, like that was the group that came in to actually educate. Uh, the workers about their conditions and their oppression to like make them aware,、um, and so they came in and we got to sit in on a lesson. And I really appreciated appreciated the way they facilitated it because they were using examples that they could understand.、Mm-hmm, so it was、mm-hmm. very tangible、mm-hmm. for them.、Um, so like experiences that they would go through with working with Nutri Asia,、um, and there was also like I think if I remember clearly there was a Coke bottle、um, example on how profit. Like to try and like explain what profit is. So I really appreciated like the type of like language being used because like I think when it comes to like educating the masses, it could be kind of tricky because yeah, sure you're coming in and you have that academic like vocabulary, but they don't 
So mm. how do you try and like bridge that? You mm. know. Mm -hmm. um, so I really appreciated the people who did come through to teach like Marxist um, teachings because um, they made it accessible for the workers to understand. Um, it was just interesting because it's like wow like this is something that isn't just a berkeley thing like there are folks in the philippines mm -hmm. also like using it mm -hmm. um so it was just interesting to see that and also just yeah again going back to the whole making it accessible i think that's also another method that i want to use if i do go into like more community organizing because mm -hmm. i think that's a really big issue here what um, is uh, at least like when you're educating people who don't have like mm -hmm. a mm -hmm like a higher education background mm -hmm. like it could be very hard for them to really understand those like complex theories or terms so trying to meet them eye to eye is like the best approach like meet folks where they're at mm -hmm. and instead of like belittling them yeah. you know and like lecturing mm -hmm. yeah exactly like mm -hmm. i feel it like even if you go to the direct text i mean we were in the same sociology class mm -hmm. last year too and yeah. then some of those old writings are just so dense. Mm -hmm. Like you're like, what is the use Even of this? Even like I can't understand it. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, and then I do think what I got from you is they have the lived experience that actually exemplifies the theory. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Of like mm -hmm. the who owns the actual means of production. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're right there. They're mm -hmm. actually producing, and then yeah. they get to see that they don't benefit while mm -hmm. the owners drive away and they're nice cars and everything yeah. mm -hmm. though this is what um it is like one of those big events recently because they were violently dispersed you said yeah they were i mean we were still in the philippines when that happened we were just finishing our visit with the ita community and we received news that it was violently dispersed and um it was just really weird like i remember getting the news and just like instantly like just bawling mm. and it was like those aren't workers anymore those are my friends being hurt you know mm -hmm. those are their families being hurt um and it made me really angry because it was during a mass mm. when they were violently dispersed and i remember i didn't read any of the media just because i know it was going to be you know like shaped into something that makes the workers look bad so but then i did hear from like what people were reading online that like to justify the because like folks got arrested during the dispersal to justify those arrests there the police were saying oh they had weapons on them blah 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 so it's just very frustrating when you see like the media perpetuating these types mm -hmm. of things because mm -hmm. it's like these workers are just they're already struggling to begin with like they're just trying to you know um live life and like try and like you know improve not only like their conditions but like the conditions of their family you know and it was just angering because it's like why does the media portray you like this you know when you're just trying to survive so yeah it like ha the violent dispersal like happened and so their picket line is no longer up mm. um but i think the fight is still going on mm -hmm. it was nice to see because like when i came back um to the states from the philippines i saw how much um coverage it was getting um not only in the philippines but it gained attention over here like i know folks were striking at like seafood cities and mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. telling people or like boycotting Asia, like mm -hmm. not buying any of the products so that was nice to see because that's all the workers wanted um whenever we would ask the workers what they wanted they would be like we just want folks especially in the united states to understand like what's going on here and like what we're going through and we just want folks to stop buying these products because 
the products have like blood and blood sweat and tears essentially in the products you know so shout yeah. out to your mama for cooking that good spaghetti without nutra asia yeah i was products. really i was really surprised that because like she's very like um to her ways like she's uh -huh, very traditional uh -huh. when it comes to recipes so i was really surprised when i told her like nah no nutra asia products um she really supported it because um i think to an extent when i like talk about my experiences in the philippines she's finally she's finally understanding why i care so much mm. mm -hmm. how has that communication been in terms of sharing i remember like with just with my parents with your mom or? with your family yeah, okay. coming back to your family um sharing those things with my i think with wait wait, my, wait can we before that can we yeah. go through some of these pictures first oh, yeah, yeah. give me some thoughts mm -hmm. and everything those are, before um, we move on those are some of the students from Bulacan State, which mm. they were there just to support, which is also nice to see. Um, so they're really involved. Um, this is the Talon Buhai that got to me. That's the president of the union in the mm. blue shirt. Mm -hmm. um, so this is just a Talon Buhai and everyone was just listening in. Because it was funny because folks were saying, or like at least the workers were saying that he usually doesn't open up. Uh. So they were surprised that he was opening up to us. Uh. So... They they were saying that he's usually very like stern um, and, not, and doesn't share that much. Yeah, stuff. very serious. Um, and this was actually not when we were there. This is a picture that they sent us. Um, they they're really cute because they keep in communication with us through Facebook. So this mm. is a picture of them. Uh, I think this was at the United People Sona. So I was there for that. Um, and then more pictures. This was um, the cultural night that we had just to close off the whole visit mm. um, and that was nice because we instead of just like heavy topics being discussed like we actually got to you know uplift some of the worker spirits and just sing and dance together that's a consistent thing in a lot of the organizing spaces that's what, that's what i recognize too nights. yeah yep. and i think it really does help because it's more like celebrating because then i think when you're going through that struggle it's so easy just to have low morale and just be upset about everything mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. um but i think community or like at least cultural nights like that really uplift you and like remind you like why you're in the struggle together you know i think it also hits another part of the spirit mm -hmm. also like music creativity yeah. like performance there's a lot of i was introduced to a lot of revolutionary songs during mm. my trip here and i was like wow like i didn't know this was a thing so it was really cool to hear and it was all in Tagalog too. Yeah, so. yeah. Mm -hmm. I need to learn actually some like there's a lot mm -hmm. of um, yeah. like songs that tell stories about mm -hmm. people's movement yeah. and fighting for rights mm -hmm. and things like that. And mm -hmm. it's a totally different shift from mm -hmm. even honestly some of the music that I make. Right? <laughs> like yeah. it's it makes me really think about what is the power and the mm -hmm. impact that music can have yeah um but yeah like that's that's usually this was it's really cool because they built that table themselves mm. um and it like during the day it's like used as like you know a table where you can play checkers or cards or like to eat dinner but at night it's converted into a bed mm. Mm -hmm. looks like it i was just about mm -hmm. to say it is good to have like are, are you performing something oh yeah i had to write a speech that would um because like again like i said when we visited them the workers were very just like t tired they're they had low morale they didn't see a point in the strike anymore so um one she, i think her i think her name was rochelle yeah rochelle this she was one, one of the, the yeah, one speaking she was one of the bulacan state students 
and she encouraged me to write one to uplift their spirits. Do you have that? I, I actually do, I think. Would hopefully you like my, to read it? Hopefully my notebook is here. I don't think... Because I kept it, it in is here. It, is it? Is it? Hopefully. It's not, but I could share uh, it with you. You yeah, still have I think, it? I do. I have that uh, journal with me. I, I don't know why I didn't bring it, but uh, it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, but I also have a video. Um, I could share that with you too. But essentially, I was talking in English, but she was translating to Tagalog. So mm. there's that again. <laughs> yeah. What did you write? What did you share and stuff? Um, I just, uh, pretty much like what I've been telling you, like I've, through this, like I've really learned how different community organizing is in the Philippines. Like it's much so, like it's very, I see, I feel like with community organizing in the Philippines, change happens really fast, or at least like it's a very united struggle as opposed to, in the United States, I don't have a lot of experience, but what I've seen, it's very like, or at least like from the experience that I've heard from like Kenneth, who like has a lot of experience with community organizing here, he was saying like, he appreciates the transparency and like the agitation and like the quickness and like change that he sees within like community organizing in the Philippines. Like it's very different in that sense. So I was just talking about like what I saw and like how, um, how much they're sacrificing because I mean, they're not working, they're away from their families and their kids. So um, I was just trying to, kind of recenter them and try and reground them in like why they're striking in the first place because I think it's very easy to like lose a sense of purpose when you're going through like um like a protest or a strike mm -hmm. I think the the good way to represent the sacrifices that community organizers have is that I met this one community organizer who he goes into the community and then he stays there and he helps mobilize through educational discussions mm -hmm. or whatever is needed by the larger org that is there mm -hmm. and this dude was telling me he didn't see his brother for like three years yeah. right so mm -hmm. it's the, that amount of sacrifice in the sense of yeah. like it's not just you're going to community organization meetings like here like on a weekly or whatever yeah. but some of them are like living their lives mm -hmm. there in the community not going home mm -hmm. and giving their yeah. like 24 hours mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. organizing yeah i mean the, like with sacrifices like sacrifices are sacrifices no matter how big or small mm -hmm. but like comparing the sacrifices being made between like community organizers here in, in the philippines theirs is very intense mm -hmm. um i think there was a worker that i met and she hasn't she didn't see her sister for like two years either because she was striking or like she was like working I was a nutrient Asia worker and now she's striking. So it's also like to protect the safety of your family too. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I know the president of the union, he had to relocate his family away from their original home to ensure their safety because he has received threats. Mm -hmm. So by the management and by the government. So there's a lot of sacrifice, like intense sacrifices being made. Yeah. What? What are your plans in terms of like, you said you're thinking of going into community organizing? Mm -hmm. Like, what's that pull and like, into what mm -hmm. direction? I think I'm still kind of like, trying to figure out what I want to do with my life personally. But I think after going to the Philippines, I definitely see myself going back mm. continuously. Like I'm trying to go this summer again. I'm trying to make it like a, 
like a some like I definitely didn't want to leave this trip or like I definitely didn't want this trip to end at this trip. Mm. Like usually like I remember I went to Nicaragua um when I was in high school for three weeks and once that trip was over, that trip was over. Um but I think I really want to change that because it's so easy just to be like I think we have the privilege of like, you know, immersing ourselves in these communities and just leaving. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. and that's something that I don't want to do anymore, or like at least I want to change. Um because like yeah, we have the privilege of like being exposed to what they're going through because that's not our lives, like that's not our everyday struggle and we have the privilege of going back here mm-hmm. and like, you know, living comfortably. Um but yeah, I definitely want to take what I learned from this trip beyond the actual trip. Um and really take what I've learned and share like the expo panel that we did recently that was something that I want to do more and even just this podcast sitting with you just letting these narratives be told but for me again dialogue is a good thing but it's also like what are you going to do with that dialogue mm-hmm. like I want to take it beyond that so continuously visiting the Philippines and like um I think for me at least I really want to keep these relationships I have or I have established through this expo trip strong. So like visiting revisiting the Ita communities, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. keeping in touch with the Nuche Asia workers. I think that's something that I want to do. And I see myself like this is the plan that I have, but I definitely want to I see myself living in the living in the Philippines for a year or two to do community organizing work because I don't know, I feel like being back here there's only so much that you can do. Um I think that being there physically in the Philippines is where most of the work can be done. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like actually having those face-to-face interactions um and like building together is the most efficient way but like it's not as accessible as like doing work here. Um you could do a lot of advocacy work here which is important but for me I like being in the front line. Mm-hmm. Um so I see myself visiting the Philippines hopefully yearly and then hopefully like after graduating um if like finances and like you know um time permits like i want to be able to live out there for a little bit and continue to build and like be a part of the struggle so so in 2 years we'll see you there that's the hope that's the plan <laughs> yeah hey they always are open to like support and everything yeah exactly so i feel very strongly about it um and i think i mentioned this to a lot of folks whenever i talk about my experience but even though like we we're always on the move in the philippines i always felt very settled and centered hmm. um doing the work in the philippines so um it's definitely something that i'm i've learned to be or like it's something that i realize that i'm passionate about what do you mean expound on that a little bit of mm-hmm. being uh centered when you're doing the work mm-hmm. so i don't know like with me um i've always had different interests um like they're always all over the place too um but when i was out there in the philippines it the work felt familiar and it was weird cuz it was like i've never done this before but it felt familiar and also i also felt the most like myself being out mm, there mm-hmm. and also just conversing like i mean i was talking to strangers in english and they didn't understand me but i felt the <laughs> most I, i felt the most comfortable and like the most happy so i think that says a lot i just listened to my like my feelings out there and i think i felt very in tune with them as opposed to here where it's like 
oh, am I doing the right thing? Like, I don't know if I should be doing this, but out there, I was like, yes, this is work that I see myself doing. Like, it's very, it's a very, like, I'm 100% into this, you mm, know, as opposed mm. to here where it's like, I'm kind of iffy, you know, mm. if that makes sense. I, I definitely can relate. Like, I feel that I'm more authentically myself when I am in the Philippines. Yeah. I'm not and sure it's weird. why. Yeah. I can't explain it. And I wouldn't say like, I'm faking it here. It's yeah, just yeah. like, I just feel freer and especially when i am with communities yeah exactly um, rather than like the manila because mm -hmm. uh, i can get pretty insulated in manila mm -hmm. also right being upper mm -hmm. middle class there like you mm -hmm. can have a car go like yeah. eat nice places mm -hmm. but then w just when i get to do community works visit mm -hmm. and tasks there in the philippines like my spirit feels better. Yeah. Like, and mm -hmm. I'm more, I have more mm -hmm. energy and a drive and a vision. Yeah, exactly. That's how I felt like in the Philippines, which is what I mean by feeling like very settled and centered. Mm -hmm. Cause it's like, I know this is work that needs to be done. And this is work that I want to do. Not because like I'm getting like influenced by other people, but this is just because this is something that I'm, I'm really, this is what, this is like a fight that I, see is necessary and i want to be a part of it you know because mm. i think growing up too like i've based a lot of my decisions off of like what my parents think or what mm -hmm. like my friends think so but for the very first time like with community organizing specifically in the philippines like this is a decision that i made on my own like on my own terms was there a moment that was especially significant for you in during this trip that maybe flip the switch or that stuck with you in mm -hmm. terms of the direction for you like being a community organizer mm -hmm. and moving towards that direction i think it was just throughout the whole trip i don't think there was like a like a significant singular like event that happened but i think it was just like being around like the the communities and like the people and just seeing like what community can truly be and also like what i really appreciated was that a lot of the reasons why communities end up becoming like organized or unionized is because there are like folks who do come from like a higher like a higher education background like they come in and they educate these folks mm, mm. and that's something that like i really appreciated seeing because i mean i like think about like i think back to like my political theory class where it's like is it oppression if they don't know they're being oppressed and because then it's like do like so yes like it's, yeah exactly so <laughs> that question like that question really stuck with me and i'm glad that i was like able to hear that before going to the philippines because i mean i want like i think what I really appreciated about like these folks coming in and educating the masses is that without them, they would have never acknowledged that they're being oppressed. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? Mm -hmm. So like throughout this trip, I've been seeing like the impact of like education, like just holding that knowledge. Like, yes, it can be burdensome. Like, damn, like I didn't know this was going on. Like, I didn't know that these systems were oppressing me, but it's liberating at the same time. Mm. And so, it was also liberating for me too, like even with my own experiences of like learning Philippine history and like unlearning a lot of the things that I learned through like high school and stuff like that. Like sure the knowledge is burdensome, but it's very liberating. And I think that's 
specifically what I want to do. Like that's my focus when it comes to community organizing. Like when it comes to like you know educational discussions, I want to be able to facilitate that. Mm. Um, so like I really appreciated that because it was a common theme that I saw within the communities. Like they didn't start working towards like um, like demanding. They didn't become like agitated until like people came in and told them to, to like or like made them acknowledge like yes this is happening you should mm. like it's affecting your livelihood you know so i think that's like my main focus when it comes to community organizing that's like the type of direction that i want to take with it um but yeah there's no specific like event that happened so there's like a strong uh respect and almost I don't know, like newfound kind of appreciation for those folks who have educational privilege mm -hmm. going back to communities and using that yeah. educational exposure and experience mm -hmm. to let people know about or be aware of mm -hmm. the oppression that's mm -hmm. going on. Yeah, because you could easily take your degree and like do something like mm -hmm. become an engineer and all that money and then like, you know, go on your own way and be comfortable. But um, I think for me, something that I really want to do is like, yes, I recognize my privilege of being able to like ha get an education, especially like at Berkeley, you know, so mm. I want to be able to share that knowledge and that education, you know, because I feel like at least for me, when I earn a degree, it's not only my degree, but like my family's degree and like, you know, the Philippines, you mm. know, like mm -hmm. the people in the Philippines and just like, I feel like education is very powerful because it enables you to do a lot of things that you feel like you could have never done so i want to be able to share those privileges with other people who mm. might not have the opportunity to do so you know mm. so next year we'll be seeing you go back hopefully yeah the study abroad program got approved so. yeah yeah i'm trying then, to i'm thinking of yeah. applying to that one yeah and i i appreciate the way tita joy was or like i know she was working on it but like um i appreciate like the whole like everyone who put in like that effort to like make this program exist like i appreciate the fact that they structured it in a way where it's more like an expo trip mm, you know because mm -hmm. i think a lot of folks especially here like i really want them to go on an exposure trip because it is life-changing and it opens your eyes to like different perspectives and like it's very easy to be comfortable with your own perspectives and like your own experiences but like actually going out there and like being exposed to everything i think is really important i think it's even important for people in the philippines to go on exposure trips in the philippines especially if you yeah. come from like upper middle class mm -hmm. uh, communities mm -hmm. and yeah. like it's a big shift like my perspective has totally mm -hmm. shifted and mm -hmm. because even in the philippines i was able to just live a good life like yeah. in terms of my dad's a condo has oh. a car things like yeah. that not exposed to like working class families mm -hmm. um and or farming mm -hmm. fisher folks and things it's, like that it's interesting that you bring up family in the philippines because like i got to stay with family before my trip started um because i just caught an earlier flight and I just stayed with them because I haven't seen them since what I was like four or five. Um, so I have like two relatives um, from my mom's side that still live in the Philippines. So my oldest cousin still lives out there um, and he lives in Bagong, which is like where all my family is from. And then my mom has a nephew that um, lives in like the Bulacan area and he owns a gas station. Mm. Um, so it was very weird to see like the difference in wealth within your own family because like 
um my cousin still lives in like the provinces you know like he still lives in like that metal house shack that my family grew up in but then comparing it to my mom's nephew where he owns a gas station has a condo has two cars like why is there that difference still especially within family you know it's just really it was really it was just weird to see mm -hmm, i can't mm -hmm. really describe how like it's very jarring you know mm. Mm -hmm. It's like those contradictions yeah. that um, a lot of people in the organizing spaces mm -hmm. like talk about how you manage those contradictions or you face them and then realizing like, yo, I've benefited from from privilege in a mm -hmm. lot of ways, especially economic privilege, mm -hmm. even if like I always share, yeah, I'm brown and I'm mm -hmm. an immigrant here in the US, mm -hmm. but I'm upper middle class when I'm in the Philippines, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And even just the ability to get mm -hmm. an education, yeah. right? Just to come to Berkeley mm -hmm. while folks be stopping going to school because yeah. they can't afford the mm -hmm. 4,000 peso, $100 yeah. uh, for yeah. the semester or something mm -hmm. like that. I think like when, if folks do go on expo trips, they're confronted with their privilege. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it could be really scary and like, whoa, like I wouldn't consider myself privileged, but like in the Philippines you are um, and I think instead of like being scared of it and also like trying to like deny it like you should just embrace it and use those privileges to try and like uplift folks who are like not as privileged as you you know mm. so I think it's really important to confront that to recognize your place you know I think it's definitely jarring it is it's definitely it is. jarring and yeah. it could also bring up like a defense mechanism mm -hmm. like no not bye yeah. right versus like oh shoot i am and mm -hmm. i think you bring up like the good perspective to have of like all right then how can i use the privilege yeah to like confront these things mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and i had a mentor actually tell me though like and it's it's very important to have like truth tellers in your life right and i had a mentor just tell me like you know christian I noticed that you're in a point where you don't want to give up your privileges mm. and really made me think I'm like like damn I never really thought of the privileges that I have and the thought of giving it up mm -hmm. right and what I how to give it up how mm -hmm. to use it to serve those who don't have yeah. those right because mm -hmm. we're like consistently trained to like climb the ladder for yeah. our own or our family's mm -hmm. kind of benefit right mm -hmm. so get that job so that mm -hmm. the house can be secure yeah. things like that and it's so on some level it's necessary like i want to help sustain my lola and her health care things like that mm -hmm. at the same point we are still participating in the system that exploits a lot of people who are not as privileged as yeah. like ourselves right mm -hmm. i think there was also discussion that we ended up having about like what does a degree even earn you mm. um and i thought that was very really like weird too because then i grew up like i grew up with that type of like um like my parents were always like you need to get an education blah 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 but when i went to the philippines it's like are you contributing to that system that is continuously like per like perpetuating like oppression and like um corruption and it's like i never really thought about it that way so like you're just confronted with a lot of like 
very weird contra not weird mm-hmm. but interesting contradictions mm-hmm. and it's like kind of hard to like you're kind of like in a limbo where it's like which side do i go with or like what really lines up with my morals and like my values you know so i think like when you do go on expo trips you're you're confronted with those contradictions and it's just really hard to navigate i think if you don't talk it through with someone mm, mm. Mm. what was the before we go to pisa pisa pungan mm-hmm. is that the next one which one pisa pungan sona or teleptip teleptip okay. yeah before we go to that one w- were there any contradictions that you feel came up with you Um what was like a a struggle in that sense I during think, the trip I think it was like going back the whole privilege thing mm-hmm. too I think I felt that a lot being out there but I think it's, it wasn't like a really hard contradiction though because then I like just embraced it Because I mean, I recognize my privilege here in the United States too. Like even though, yeah, like I'm low income, first gen, like a woman of color, like I'm still privileged in a sense where I have a roof over my head. You know, mm-hmm. I have parents that love me, like family that supports me. You know, like I eat, like I could eat three meals a day if I like wanted to. You know, so I'm privileged in that sense. So it wasn't really hard to confront out there, but it still was very like. weird to navigate and just be confronted by it because you're actually like for you're like for witnessing it firsthand and i think that's what made it different you know because then these are just thoughts that i have here in the united states but when i was in the philippines it's like I'm, it's like right in front of my face you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. i remember being very conscious of my thoughts and realizing mm-hmm. like even if i don't verbally complain Like I have complaining thoughts in my head. Yeah. Where like I'm like, damn, am I really high maintenance like that? Like the I think something that, uh, like something that made me really really check my privilege was the bathroom situations uh-huh, in the uh-huh. Philippines. Like um. Or the no bathroom situations in the. <laughs> yeah, like you like I remember when we were hiking up to the Ita community. Like it was almost a day hike. And you know, there's no bathrooms out there in the wilderness, so like you just if you had to pee or poop, like you had to like drop one like on the side of the trail. Like, there was no trail. So yeah, I think just being confronted with that like damn like even just like the little necessities. Not even I don't even think of it as a necessity anymore. Like just the little like you know, conveniences that you have here like you won't have out there in the mm-hmm. Philippines mm-hmm. and it really makes you like recognize that or like makes you aware of like the types of things that you have here like a toilet to me is no longer like a necessity like it's definitely like a luxury to have because mm-hmm. then you have folks in the philippines who have holes as toilets you know mm-hmm. so you just make do with what you have and just be happy with it you know and be thankful that it's not like the worst you know Shout as long out. as you can poop or yep, pee like yep. just be thankful for that Shout out though to baby wipes Baby yeah, even baby wipes is a necessity <laughs> too. Like some folks can't even afford it out there, so you have to wipe with what <laughs> <laughs> leaf. Yeah, so you really do. I think there's like a category of like wants and needs, mm. and definitely it like a lot of the things under my needs list has shifted over want to wants. Mm, so mm, yeah. Mm. It made you like realize like you don't really need this. Yeah, exactly. Make you even 
check your own kind of desires. Yeah, exactly. Um, and that, yeah, that's also really scary to confront, I think. But I mean, it's necessary. You yeah. Because yeah. you're placed in the in the shoes of like folks who actually live through that on a day to day basis. So it makes you more empathetic um, towards their situation. So. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about what is Talib Tip. Yeah, so this was also in the Bulacan area. And what's happening here is that a lot of it, the this area specifically is um, heavily populated with fisher folk. Mm. Um, but they're currently facing displacement because San Miguel is um, planning on building an, building an aerotropolis, which is like an airport and city type of like plan that they have. Um, and so there, San Miguel is basically another. These um, are really good pictures. Yeah, they're, they're from the film, uh, the film camera. So yeah, San Miguel, as y'all know, or like don't know, they are another monopoly, mm -hmm. like a very big corporation. And like they're a really popular beer company San out there. San Miguel Beer. Yeah, and then- They also own Red Horse. Yeah, but it's weird because I learned that they also own the means of electricity and yeah. water out there. So they're a really big corporation. They've diversified, mm -hmm. they do a lot. Um, but yeah, they're planning on building an aerotropolis out there. And so fisher folk are being pushed out of their homes. And these fisher folk have like, and their families have been here for generations, mm. generation after generation. Um, so, and fish, like, if you're a fisher folk, your livelihood is dependent on fishing. Um, so when these folks do get displaced, they don't have another job to go to because all they've known is fishing. Um, and that's how they earn money. And even, like, I learned that um, fisher folk are one of the most, like, poorest. Yep. Um, in the Philippines, so even then, like, you're already trying to push out these people who have nothing to begin with, so, um, and so San Miguel, the plan is in the process of being approved, but the thing is, like, the corporation has already started bringing people in to measure how deep the water is, they've been talking to community members and, like, trying to, like, feel out, like, the land, and they're also already cutting the mangroves, um, in the rivers and those mangroves serve as like homes for the fish and also are natural flood barriers so like it's just an environmental issue too um, like so like the plan hasn't been approved but yet they're still like starting the process of building it or building the aerotropolis and there are promises of like like finding a relocation site for fisher folk but it's just like up in the air like it's just being said um there's like no specific location or building that they can go to um so it's just like word of mouth mm. um and i and got we don't even know if the relocation sites will be happen. good for yeah. fisher folk yeah exactly right. because then their livelihood is dependent mm -hmm. on fishing like is there are they being reloc relocated near a river as well so mm -hmm. they can like uh, continue fishing and continue earning for their family um, so that's what they're currently facing this is also this is a community that was kind of difficult to grasp just because I mean with Nutri-Asia there are tangible like things that we can do when we go back to the United States to help mm, them out mm. but with Teleptip like me and my group just didn't know what to do because I mean San Miguel is a large corporation mm -hmm. and a lot of the fisher folk were already really old and so we were asking them like what do you want us to do like we can we're here to help y'all and a lot of them didn't know what they wanted so um 
we were like trying to encourage them to like you know organize and like try and fight against Mad Miguel but a lot of the like the older generation was just like I mean they have money we don't like mm -hmm, how can mm -hmm. we fight against them so I think this community in particular has shown me like money does play a role mm -hmm. um and it's just really disheartening to see and hear just because like you want to help but you don't know how um but then it goes back to just like raising awareness of their situ situation i know there's a campaign going on it's hashtag save tulip tip they have like a facebook group page and everything um but i think um it's really hard to say this just because like i also don't want to believe it but i think this community is definitely going to be displaced mm. and issues like this what i because I've seen um, areas that are going through like what developers would say redevelopment, right? yeah, mm -hmm. um, which basically is displacement yeah. and mm -hmm. um, pushing folks out mm -hmm. under the guise of like, mm -hmm. hey, this is for economic development yeah. and things like that. Yeah. And the struggle with it is that mm -hmm. it's being done through quote unquote legal means, right? Yeah. Of uh, whether it's uh, zoning redevelopment mm -hmm. plans which the yeah. government will say hey we're allowed to do this because we this ordered that mm -hmm. and that um or people are buying land mm -hmm. and then consolidating land and then yeah. using it like that but mm -hmm. at the end of the day these people have no choice yeah right? exactly which was kind of hard for me to come to terms with um because like at least for me it's like fight for what you believe in until like you can't anymore but for them there isn't even a fight that is that they can do or like they can go through you know like they can't even fight against this so it's really hard to come to terms with that um but also like going back to like the whole process of like redevelopment i thought it was really interesting because um i think there at least from what i was hearing from community members there was a lot of um like work and like collaboration being done between um, the barangay, which is like just the government of like the small provinces and like um, San Miguel. Mm -hmm. I think like the mm -hmm. barangay captain or like the leader, he actually sold the land to the corporation without telling any of the fisher folk what he was doing. Um, and so even like your own people that you expect to like lead you in the right direction, like they don't even do that for you. So there's a lot of corruption even mm -hmm. on like a local government level. Mm -hmm. We saw that where um, one time in Visayas after mm -hmm. the Typhoon Haiyan, Typhoon Yolanda hit, mm -hmm. like the people, they, people whose homes were damaged were allotted a certain amount of money mm -hmm. for rebuilding. Mm -hmm. But one, and that was allowed on paper. And mm -hmm. then once you go interview folks who were supposed to re receive money you hear stories of how it was only the barangay captain's friends yeah and mm -hmm. like the his people who got him mm -hmm. in who were able to get like the funds mm -hmm. for development so yeah so it's like just violence against community members mm -hmm. like it's yeah community is strong but it can also be turned against you you know mm -hmm. and, and i think that's what i saw within tulip tip and what's kind of sad is that or what i've what you can sometimes see is that even those people who are barangay captains they're not rich they're not they're yeah. they're 
they a lot of, can be just working class just like a little step maybe above where they might have a nicer tv or a mm -hmm. or a concrete home versus like the straw house or that they just set up mm -hmm. but it's really benefiting still the large corporations who are leaps and bounds above yeah. these communities mm -hmm. and who benefit off the space the land the resources mm -hmm. there and sometimes like even, even uh, honestly like the the reason why i also invite folks to share and i like talking about these things because even me when I think about everything at play and the power of these uh, institutions, mm -hmm. the corporations. I even feel a little like, I don't want to say hopeless because I still have hope, but like yeah. such a daunting task that yeah. you are pushing up against something mm -hmm. so big and established. Yeah. Right. That's how I felt like when I um, went to visit Tiliptip because, yeah, I, for lack of better words, I felt hopeless, you know, because it's like, even the community members don't know what they want. I don't know what they need. And I want to make sure that, you know, we're giving them something that they also want, you know. So it's like, there was nothing compared to like my visit with Nutri-Asia. Like there was no tangible goal for Teleptip. Mm. And I think that was really hard to come to terms with, you know. Because mm. like, we're just visiting and like learning their struggle. But how can we help them through their struggle? We couldn't think of anything. So like two completely ends of the expert like mm -hmm. spectrum like where one had a tangible call of action yeah. and this is what we need mm -hmm. versus teleptip like yeah you just, just feel hopeless yeah it's just a struggle that you see mm -hmm. right? the the mm -hmm. like the issues there but there wasn't a any concrete kind of plan to address it no mm. how did that feel coming out of it it felt Again, it felt weird. I can't find the right words to describe it. It just felt like, kind of like, wow, like, sure, I have all of this, like, I've learned, like, I did tell them Buhais here too, like, I mean, it was just weird because then I'm leaving a community that I can't even help, but mm. yet I know what's going on there. And then, but then it goes back to like, just raising awareness and like advocating for them. Um, and like, also just like, you know, keeping up to date with like, hashtag save tulip tip you know mm -hmm. just doing those little things i think can be enough but at least for me it never always feels like enough mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um so i was reading this thing it was like one of the last articles in our gpp class mm -hmm. and it was talking about how i'm paraphrasing but mm -hmm. the idea that the worst thing to do is silence mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. and like that's going to kill your soul yeah right? even because it was analyzing this poem and this poem was talking about wow it's it's almost uh we can't do anything about it like and it was going into this meta kind yeah. of analysis like no the the mere act of saying that it's hopeless is almost something it's, yeah. it's still something mm -hmm. because it's pointing out the hopelessness that is felt in this situation yeah. because of the extremity of the mm -hmm. issue mm -hmm. right and i do i do believe that the goal is real tangible action mm -hmm. though i still also believe in the merit of not being silent yeah on issues mm -hmm. 
It was also interesting too though because the the I forgot her name, but there was we had a person kind of like a tour guide. She she visits this community often, so she was showing us around and like introducing the community members to us. And she was saying that like what Teleptip needs and like the communities there, they, what they need is um, professionals coming in, so like mm -hmm. engineers and all of that to like because um, they deal a lot with flooding. Like mm -hmm, we were also mm -hmm. there during like really bad weather, so like the tides were really high. So um, she was saying like, yeah, we need like professionals to come in, even doctors, because like um, with people who end up do getting sick in these yeah. areas, it's very weather dependent. So like if you need to get to like a clinic or like a hospital, um, it's very dependent on the weather. So even like the trip, it takes you like 30 minutes to get to like the nearest clinic or hospital. But if weather permits, like you can't even, sometimes you can't even go to the hospital mm -hmm. because the ties are just so like rough. So she was kind of saying like, we need professionals to come through to like help out these communities and like actually utilize what they've like, you know, what they know and what they can do to help communities like Teleptip. So it was interesting to see that type of like method of help because I've like, at least for me, like when I think of engineers and like doctors, like I'm like, mm, they can't really do a lot of activism because um, they have their own jobs to deal with. But again, they can come, they can come into these communities and like use their skills and help them out, you know? Mm -hmm, so I thought mm -hmm. that was like a very interesting method that I like got to learn through the, our tour guide. So. so is this flooding in people's homes right now? Like, yeah, I think with this home, with it this ended one. up, yeah, the family just ended up leaving because it was like just super flooded because the ties are really high. We came, I mean, the Philippines is a rainy season over the yeah, summer, yeah. so yeah, it actually got like the weather was pretty dangerous because we were on a boat and then there, were, there was like in the middle of our boat ride, we had to stop at like the middle of the community. So because then the tides were just too rough. So just even imagining like folks who need to go into the inner city to get like food, like they can't even do that. Because what do you mean middle of the community? There's like, um, the way it was set up, it was like, so like there was like a community like on one end and then another community on the other end and there's like a community right here. I don't know if that makes sense. I forgot the names of the communities, but like we just like did and a then detour. What? And, then, and then that's all around one big lake or something? It was a river. It looked like an ocean, but they told me that it was a river. Oh. So there's like different communities situated in different areas of the river. Oh, mm -hmm. interesting. And this is while y'all are on the boat. Yeah. Going from community to community. There were like certain communities that we want, that we were going to visit, but like where we ended up stopping was in a community that we planned on visiting. So. Mm. Yeah, that's how oh, bad it was. Oh, this is the flooding. This is on our way to Buluk, like to the um, to Teleptip. Damn. Yeah, because we came from Nutri Asia to Teleptip, and this was like the um, the road trip there, basically. Yeah. Damn, bro. Mm hmm. The weather was really bad. Good thing, I mean, those motorcycles are still mm -hmm. running, but yeah, damn. I also learned too that the there's no sort of like sewage at all mm -hmm. in the philippines mm -hmm. so this is why neighborhoods get like this this mm -hmm. is why they flood so mm -hmm. that's just another issue like infrastructure mm -hmm. that's what made me think too like mm -hmm. uh, in terms of privilege there's like infrastructure privilege like yeah. that where like yo we have <laughs> roads out here yeah and sewage mm -hmm. systems things like that which yeah. 
uh, separates us from like diseases, mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. like this, or even just mm-hmm. the daily discomfort. Yeah. Of. And it's interesting because like before going to the Philippines, I came across a post about like romanticizing like the struggle, mm. um, and it went back to like flooding, like you often see in the media like happy children dancing in the rain or like swimming in the floods but you never really like it's kind of like it the pictures are usually captioned like you know happy filipino kid like in 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 the flood you know like in light of everything in light of all the storms going on you know the filipinos are still persistent and resilient you know but then it doesn't really address the fact that there's no so, sort mm-hmm. of like sewage control or like infrastructure like Sure, you're romanticizing the idea, and yeah, sure, Filipinos are resilient, but what are you doing about it, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. There's nothing being done. Mm. Like, they don't have to be happy in the flood. They could be happy with, like, you know, sewage infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there's that, also that idea, that narrative of, like, romanticizing the struggle. I get that point. I think I saw someone post about that. Maybe yeah, it was I, the same I think one. it was probably the same post. Yeah, of, yeah. of like, because you always see the post of the Filipino spirit. So yeah. cordial, so mm-hmm. like in the light of any issue, things They're like that. They're still happy. Still they happy. Smile on their it's face. like, but bro, give us city planning. Exactly. Like that, yeah. Right? Like, yeah, like sure, we're happy, but we could be happy with better conditions mm, too, you know? Mm, mm. Yeah, so that's just another narrative. Because it's almost like an erasure of the issues that are going on or even the inadequacies of those in yeah power. it's kind of yeah. just like brushing the issues aside mm-hmm. and not paying attention to like what's actually happening mm. how long did y'all stay here in Teleptip? it was i think three days only so a very short visit um what's this concordia oh that's sure a different that that's a document <laughs> uh sauna or pisapungan um i think sauna was next sauna yeah. Let's see. Oh, there's no there's no yeah. pictures. What was Sona like for you? There's no pictures in this. Oh, there's no pictures. Oh, my that's my bad. Um, Sona was it was the United People's Sona. It was at first I was kind of scared just because I've never been to a rally that big. Mm-hmm. Um, so context state of the nation address mm-hmm. is given. So Duterte, the president of the Philippines, has his own Sona, which is kind of like the State of the Union address mm-hmm. here, given by like the president here. Um, but the Philippines has that um, State of the Union, State of the Nation, of the nation's address. Um, and so this is where like he talks about his plans, um, his goals for the rest of his term. Um, and then so in to take the converse of that and to fight against like his beliefs and what he wants for the country, um, different sectors of Philippine society came together to have a United People Sona, which is like a rally against Duterte and what he's been doing to hold him accountable in a sense. Um, and so we ended up going after the Teleptip trip because then um, the beginning, the first half of my Kabataan Alliance trip was with um, the International Solidarity Mission trip. So ISM, and so we were with them for the first half, and the end of the trip um, was Sona or the United People Sona. So I was just kind of anxious because, again, I've never been in a rally that big, and also just going back to the whole like idea of you know protesting and like speaking up against the government. That's mm-hmm. dangerous in the mm-hmm. Philippines. Mm-hmm. So it was just a different environment that I was in, and so I was very anxious. But when I was there. And like marching with folks, it was very empowering because 
you never really, or at least for me, I never really knew about like activism in the Philippines, like with the People's Power Movement. I don't know the history of it. Um, and I never really thought that like the Philippines can come together like this in order to like, you know, show Duterte what he's doing is wrong, you know, or considered wrong. Um, so it was very like, very eye-opening to see that. And also like, it made me really hopeful that yes, Duterte is doing a lot of um, horrible things and like going against a lot of human rights. But there, there's also a lot of folks in the Philippines who are going through that struggle to um, reclaim the Philippines in a sense. Mm -hmm. um, so Sona was a very interesting experience. Um, also, I think it also goes back to like creativity and like activism. I saw a lot of really good propaganda. Yeah, no, they're they're dope. They're great yeah. at like mm -hmm. the effigies. I think that's yeah. what they're called. The also, effigies. like with the I saw like the urban poor marching. Mm -hmm. Even like folks who don't have anything, they'll make something out of what they have, and I thought that was really um, interesting to see too, and very empowering too. And it, Sona was a very hopeful event for me. Mm. Um, I actually went to Sona with uh, Sikad, which is seen mm -hmm. in Kadamai, and then they mm -hmm. do like a bunch of cultural things. Mm -hmm. So like during the whole time they had, they had drumming. Mm -hmm. It was so I think ingenious. I saw that. It was drumming with like garbage cans, right? Or yeah, like or the, yeah, garbage cans. Mm -hmm. And also they used um, tires. Mm -hmm. They I taped tires mm -hmm. around and made drums and it was hella loud. Mm -hmm. Like just the ingenuity of that, like, whoa, I would not have mm -hmm. thought about that. And mm -hmm. then they had like visual artists where yeah. they created stencils, big stencils to spray paint, mm -hmm. um, like artwork and everything. Yeah. And I was with a group that did like street theater. Mm -hmm. So they taught like kids a routine of and like mm -hmm. a storyline based mm -hmm. on like the killings and yeah. the political mm -hmm. issues going on. Mm -hmm. And then they performed it right there on the mm -hmm. street. Like mm -hmm. and it was all at the rally. It was yeah. It was beautiful to see mm -hmm. like the involvement of folks from different sectors. Mm -hmm. It was nice everything. to see them come together too. Because yeah, sure they have um different types of struggles, different types of like things that they're going through. But at the end of the day, it's all um, like a violation to human rights. So mm. it's basically like, you know, it was just nice to see them all come together because I've never seen something like that, um, especially here in the States. Like, I don't think that I've ever been to a rally that big. Mm. Yeah. Do you did you go to rallies a lot um, here in the U.S.? Like, I think were, how were you in terms of your activism and all? When Trump was elected was mm. when I like started going to protest. Um, but what I've noticed about protest here is that there are some folks in the crowd who are just there to be in the crowd, like they don't have a purpose. And with Sona, at least, oh, this is just my experience with protest here. Um, with Sona, like everyone was there for a reason. Mm. Mm -hmm. And like with at least with the protests that I've been because of like Trump's election, um, yes, there were people who were passionate, uh, like and like angry about the issue, but there are also a lot of folks who were just there to be there, like kind like of like an event to go to. Like. Yeah, kind of like a speculation mm. in a sense, like yeah. Here, I just converted the pictures three, three, four, seven. 
so we can look at oh is these. this the i don't these are the ones are the they, i don't think this is sona is this i i think this is Ita. yeah this is the Ita community oh yeah i don't think oh yeah you don't have photos from yeah we don't sona. have a lot of photos from sona it was also just like a safety precaution too or a protocol uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah okay so Next, we have Pisapungan. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about this while I scroll through pictures. So this is the community that I was most excited about mm. just because I've never really learned about indigenous folks, especially in the Philippines. Um, so to get to the community, we had to hike. It was just a day hike and it was, I think, it took us eight to nine hours to get mm. to the community. And so we were going through different types of terrain. Like this was like sand. This was kind of sandy. Um, and then um, we went through like seven rivers to get to like the community. So it was one of the hardest hikes of my life, but it was definitely worth it. Um, because I think this is a community that um, I really enjoyed specifically. Um, especially since like they spoke Kapampangan. It was just very like familiar um but what they're going through is there's a lot of like militarization going mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. especially in like indigenous communities this was in um tarlock yeah um and so yeah the hike was really hard <laughs> uh, but yeah they're facing militarization um within the area so at least when I was talking to the community members, they were talking about harassment from mm. like some of the folks who are in the military, like soldiers. So like, um, oh, Atamayat came went with you. Yeah, mm -hmm. she was oh. our tour guide, our quote unquote tour guide. Um, and so, yeah, that sunset was really nice. Um, that was like in the middle of our hike. Um, but yeah, so a lot of folks were telling the stories of harassment from the soldiers. Um, there are American soldiers and Filipino soldiers um, occupying the space. Um, but yeah, there are soldiers who... There were stories where their life, like their livestock was being like stolen by them. And like um, they would find dead chickens and dead pigs. Um, and of course, who else would kill them? Like they were assuming it was the soldiers because they're the only other people like in the space, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and then another thing, I think something that really hit me or like really stuck with me um, during this trip in particular was that we got to uh, teach the student or like teach the kids here. Um, and I realized like with at least indigenous, I mean, this happens in the like throughout the Philippines too, but especially in indigenous communities, there's no proper education mm. or no proper system um, when it comes to like educating like students um, because if you see the picture, like you see how large the classroom is, it's mm. a mix of like, I think first to, or like from considered kindergarten to like second, third grade. Mm. And you know, you can't really teach the same thing to like a third grader compared to like a kindergartner. Like they're at, they should be learning different things, you know, but they're in the same classroom. Was this a state school? This like, was a school, it's, it's recognized by the nation mm -hmm. like as like a legitimate school, but um, it was donated. I forgot by who, but a community member was saying that um, it was donated. Yeah, because so, the reason I ask is that I've seen the issue of like at sk state schools, mm -hmm. there's low resources being put yeah. into these communities. I think, That's why. yeah, because then um, 
at least what the community member was telling us was that there's no consistent teacher. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. So like school would be in session for a week and then no teacher for three weeks and then school is back in session. But mm -hmm. then between those three weeks, those kids lose what they learned. You know, they don't retain it. Mm -hmm. So there's no consistent teacher. And I mean, that's not on the teacher. Like that's not her fault or like their fault. So because then they they're they're doing the traveling and yeah, that can get yeah. tiring on the individual so it it's, was just this this was my first glimpse at like what like what indigenous communities are going through when it comes to education mm. yeah. it's interesting though because this is in luzon mm -hmm. what happened in um and i know there are now some alternative educational initiatives mm -hmm. in luzon but in mindanao it's super strong they have mm -hmm. salupungan you've heard of them mm -hmm. yeah and like alcadev mm -hmm. where they're alternative and they're indigenous schools but they're very well organized mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. to provide the education that the state wasn't providing mm. like that yeah because then like with this building there was only two classrooms and like the day that we were teaching this like the kids it was split into two so like kindergartners to like third grade but then then but then the next classroom was like third grade to like eighth grade Whoa. and so it's like again you can't be teaching the same curriculum um, and then again we were only there for what we were only at this day this community for three days mm. so will those students really retain anything mm -hmm. like i was teaching or like the lesson for the day was like the alphabet and like a lot of students didn't retain the information so it's like it needs to be consistent teaching and like consistent lessons but mm. they don't have that also they don't have the resources like a lot of the workbooks were outdated mm. and like there was only two workbooks available for what 30 plus kids so mm. yeah damn and to think that it's eight hour or how many hours nine hour hike yeah this said? is a nine hour hike to get to the community so um if someone wanted to teach here they would have to live in the community mm -hmm, mm -hmm. damn mm -hmm. yeah you have to go through like seven rivers to get to the community and the rivers were really rough what was the reasoning for the military there um, I think it had to do with, if I remember correctly, it had to do with some sort of law that was passed way back when. Um, and it allowed, like, the American government to occupy that space. Is it for the joint military exercises? It is, yeah, because there was a story that I heard from a community member where uh, someone was, like, going through this, like, terrain just to get back to the community after getting some supplies, and they were caught in the crossfire and ended up dying. This mm. is probably close to where we went, or it's probably under the same jurisdiction, mm. because it was also the Aita community, and... It looked exactly like this middle area mm -hmm. where like there, I think they use it for the Balikatan exercises mm -hmm. and then it's joint military exercises between the US, Philippine military, I think Australian yeah. even goes there to practice also. Yeah. What was your experience like playing with the kids and then going around like? Like seeing that mm -hmm. indigenous community. I, um, specifically with the kids, it's really nice because then, um, 
it's just nice to like take a break from all of like mm. the information that you're getting mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just like you know be a kid yourself mm -hmm. like you get to play games with them or like we were just running around and everything and it was just nice teaching them too i think that's something that i also want to look into when doing community organizing like teaching mm. little kids or like at least um you know involvement with the youth because um they still i think compared to the older generation they're still very like you know eager to learn and i like that type of like energy and attitude so i think it was really nice being around kids and seeing their excitement and their willingness to like learn like even though like i remember there was this little girl specifically where she was just not getting the alphabet like she was very frustrated with herself but yet she was still going and it was still something that she wanted to learn and even though we had a break in between she came to me and wanted to like continue on the lesson so i think with kids it's nice to see that they still have that light in them mm -hmm. compared to the older generation like mm -hmm. i understand why the older generation is like kind of quote-unquote jaded you know so it's just like refreshing to be around mm -hmm. kids with that type of attitude and energy mm -hmm. i think I think there is some truth about them having the spirit before, mm -hmm. like, life gets to them. Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I can't blame the older folks. Yeah, where, exactly. Uh, mm -hmm. They, their fate, they see all the issues, right? Especially have yeah. to work and everything. Mm -hmm. But damn, this looks like a great picture. Yeah, that's one of my favorite pictures from the trip. Um, again, my one of the one of my group members took it on her film camera. Oh yeah, I saw a lot of carabelles. That was my first time seeing a carabelle in person. Yeah. yeah, they're really cute. They're really um, but yeah. they're also like the national animal yeah. of the Philippines. Um, so, and I think that's really fitting because even like they're still used for a lot of things. They're like, so useful. Yeah, like I saw a man using it to farm and like till the land, and like they were moving supplies um like with carts on their backs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're so and. They've taught them, like, this one guy was directing it with the, just his... Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. making him turn. I'm like, dang, you, you have mm -hmm. a language with this carabao already. <laughs> yeah. But just with your... Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hella Filipino, right? <laughs> <laughs> Pointing with their lips. Yeah, carabao. <laughs> oh, yeah, and they had monkeys. Where? Um, Right there if you go back there's monkeys right there and i think oh here someone was telling me that if they don't have any food that's their last resort to oh, like the monkey kill and eat the monkey are they tied up they're tied up yeah uh, there's two of them but then um a community member was saying that when they did that for the first time the other monkeys were crying so they like definitely don't want to do it again um because they they ended up killing the monkey in front of like the other monkeys yeah and then they were the, able to tell yeah the community members were like saying like yeah the monkey was crying blah, blah blah like um that's why they're our last resort when it comes to food like we don't want to kill them because they're like humans they have feelings too damn <laughs> so but they must have been going through some like yeah hunger during mm -hmm. that time when they did that yeah so that's also just another issue that i saw too just like food insecurity and like the mm -hmm. lack of food over mm -hmm. there because again the hike is nine hours and so like to get back and forth with supplies on your back is really rough mm -hmm. so and they've been there for generations generations uh, after generation yeah damn mm -hmm. like 
It, it, it does put it into context, like, now that we have more on the national scene in the U.S. about um, the um, Native American issues, mm -hmm. especially when uh, the Dakota Access Pipeline issue mm -hmm. was going on. Yeah. And then, like, growing up in the Philippines, I never thought of thinking about what are the issues of indigenous yeah. groups. Mm -hmm. This right? was my first time being exposed to it. Um, and it's definitely something that I'm still trying to learn more about because mm. there's just a lot. There's and a lot. this isn't just the only indigenous community out here or out in the Philippines. So, yeah, it's definitely something that I want to learn more about. Learn mm. more about self-determination too. Mm -hmm. So, so from like the trying to collate and like get the whole experience down, right? Mm. Um, how do you think it has shifted your approach coming back here to the u.s to community organizing or even your schooling mm -hmm. things like that like, yeah. like you said it's been very pivotal even for just being three weeks yeah right. so i definitely have seen or like with at least with me a lot of the work that i end up involving myself with like a lot of the time and effort that i put into certain things goes back to the philippines and like my experiences so like um i've had it was kind of weird coming back too because then my priorities kind of shifted because like coming back from the Philippines I wanted to be a part of Anakbayan and like get involved with that community or Gabriella Oakland like I wanted to do more of like I wanted to involve myself more with outside organizations um just because like I was just so involved with the pill community and like it's very easy to get like comfortable within the community just because it's within the university you know but something that I've learned is that there's communities within the Bay Area mm -hmm, and like mm -hmm. they're doing the type of work that like I want to be doing so my priorities have definitely shifted where I want to be part of Anakbayan but the thing is like I had prior commitments before going to the Philippines um so like I mean I'm the PC, one of the PCN producers hey. passed too. Um, so like I had these prior commitments, so I don't have enough. I don't have a lot of time to be able to fully commit to like being a part of Anakbayan, you know. So what I do with my prior commitments, so like with PCN, like making it more intentional and having more like educational discussions is what I'm trying to see for the next semester. So like really contextualizing the issues that we discuss on st or like what we perform on stage you mm, know because mm -hmm. then it's very easy at least with my experience in pcn like being in the space for three years i've seen like a dance like a cultural dance just being a cultural dance you know like it's just there to like add that cultural aspect but what is the reasoning behind that or like with the script like why are these why are certain narratives being portrayed, you know, like what's the historical backing of that? And I kind of want to, as like one of the producers, I want to be able to have a space where like performers and like participants of PCN can come together and like start and educate themselves. Like, for example, like PSR is something that I want to implement for like PCN and making it not like a requirement, but something that's available for students to learn about, you know trying to make PCN more of a space where yes you can perform and express yourself creatively but you can also learn along the way mm. um, 
just providing that space um, and opening up that dialogue is something that I want to do. And it goes back to my experiences in the Philippines because it's like not everyone can go on an expo mm -hmm. trip, you know. Mm -hmm. But the most that I can do and provide for like folks here is to like um, provide those types of discussions, you know, and like oh, like try and enlighten them in a way, you know. And it goes with past too, with the work that I do in past, like the. I mean, Shadow Weekend didn't happen. It ended up being postponed, but a lot like the theme was centered around reclaiming mm. um, what it means to be Filipino, what it means to be Filipino American, or even like folks who weren't pill identifying. What does it mean to like you know be a person of color in higher education? Um, it goes back to the Philippines again. Like um, there is a lot of narratives about like who's able to go to like a university like UP, you know? Mm. So. It's just like a lot of the work that I'm involved in right now, even though originally like my intent wasn't because of like the things I learned in the Philippines or learned from the Philippines. Like now I could reshape it in a way where it's like melding my experiences um, from the Philippines with like the work that I do here. So you try to incorporate the lessons, the experiences. Yeah, try and share that with folks who don't have the opportunity to go on expo trips. Because mm. I think it's really important and valuable knowledge that everyone should have access to. Yeah. I think I definitely would love to see more folks. Because you were the only one from... No, you and Gabby. Yeah, Gabby. Were mm -hmm. the only one this year from Cal mm -hmm. that went, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. At okay. least that's what... Gabby was the only person I met from Berkeley, so... I mean, yeah, from Berkeley who yeah. who went this year mm -hmm. on, uh, on like, with Gabataan yeah. mm -hmm. in that group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think she went with... Um, Anakbayan. and Ispe, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. But y'all... Yeah. Oh, what happened? My... Dessert. It hey, works. So, mm -hmm. so it works for you? Yeah. <laughs> Did you stop? Doesn't work. I don't know why mine doesn't work. But cool. Um, <laughs> I just wanna like end with some questions. Mm -hmm. um, now start to wrap up. Um, taking into like account your experience and everything so far. Mm -hmm. uh, Should I, I like take to... off mine too? No, you can't. No, no, no. no? I actually okay. got another one right there. Okay, for um, sure. What are three? What are three pieces of advice <laughs> that? you would give to your younger self to my um, younger self yeah it just in general yeah or mm -hmm. i like i like to kind of um frame it around like, the concept mm -hmm. of like um how you didn't really have like a tie to your filipino american yeah. identity mm -hmm. and then coming into cal finding that mm -hmm. then also having another shift mm -hmm. um after a mm -hmm. trip to the philippines mm -hmm. And then, like, acknowledging those different, like, uh, positions that you've mm -hmm. been in um, and wh mm -hmm. whatever struggle you had and yeah. everything. Um, I think the first thing that came to mind was um, being comfortable with change. I think growing up, I've been a very, like, not traditional, but very, like, stuck-to-my-ways type mm. of person. Like, I like things a certain way, you know. Like, I'll order the same ice cream. Blah, What's your sign? What's your sign? I'm a Virgo. Oh. Yeah. Or, like, I'm very, like, 
like I always want a plan or like I always I feel like I need a plan you know mm. but I think after coming to college and also like going on this expo trip like it's okay to be confronted by change and like you should allow change to happen in your life you know like I mean going in, like after going to the Philippines like my whole career path just changed you know like I want to go into community organizing what did you want to do before um, I wanted to do, I actually want to be a social worker, mm. um, but now I don't find interest in that anymore. Mm. Um, but I'm still a social welfare major because, you know, you still gain mm -hmm. those types of like, quote unquote, macro level skills, you know, through like the classes that we're in. So it's still valuable, but I don't want to be involved with social work anymore. Mm. It's mm. more like for me, I want to be able to kind of do more behind the scenes work where it's like, um, really attacking like the what's causing the problems in the first place so like policy making like reforming policies that have perpetual like have been like consistently like putting marginalized groups towards like the margin again like mm. just perpetuating that um, type of cycle like I want to attack it at like its focal point um, so like just being okay with change and like just inviting it as opposed to being afraid of it. Mm. I think that's advice that, like one piece of advice I would give to my younger self, like it's okay if your life path changes or like it's okay if your values and what you've been thinking has changed. Like again, going back to like that type of unlearning, you know, like um, sure like you're kind of like learning all of these new things and it's like very overwhelming, but you need to be able to absorb it and mm. not be like, not stray away from it, you know? So you were very anti-change before and very... Not super, but like I was very afraid of it. Afraid but now, now I'm more comfortable with it. Like, yeah, like I want to be able to, you know, like, yeah, sure. I want to go back to the Philippines, but like I want to be able to visit other countries as well. Mm. And like as a mm. young, like younger me would be so scared of that like just being like taking the airplane by myself like it's just scary but now it's just like i'm here like i want to be able to do what i want to do and if that requires change then i'll do it mm. you know mm. dope mm. so that's one and then you asked for three right yes hmm. the second one i think definitely don't hate the type with don't hate the identity you were given mm. um i think I was very bitter and angsty growing up because I was Filipino American. Like you, it's funny because my cousins still have this same attitude where it's like Filipinos are annoying. You know the whole like. I think um, there's like there's this there's memes going around or something like uh, or like back then there was like the swaggy like swaggy Filipino. Yeah, yeah. So it's like the that cringy like i guess image that filipinos have like i was very like against it not against it but like very like i wanted to like disassociate myself from that but i think now i learn like there's more to being filipino than that like that's just one mainstream image of filipinos so i'm i really want to tell my younger self like don't hate filipinos just because of that and also don't hate yourself because you're filipino like i remember like going back to the whole like like i'm a lighter skinned filipino um and i was always proud of that 
um, like I remember I had this conversation with um, Katrina and we were talking about how like people would often mistaken us as East Asian and we would take that as a compliment mm. you know like oh mm. yeah like they didn't think we were Filipino like we must be like you know quote-unquote pretty blah 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 so I think just being comfortable in my own skin and like not being shameful of it is what I would tell my younger self like you're Filipino like be like you should be proud of that but I think I wouldn't want to change my experiences of being shameful because it has taught me to or like that whole reclaiming process has been very empowering and has been very integral to the person I am today so mm, mm. like yeah I want like I wish younger me was more self-loving but mm. also like I wouldn't be the person I am today without that or mm. without going through that mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the third one I think it goes back to like privilege too like it's very like even if I don't feel privileged in the United States like being low-income first-gen woman of color like I still hold a lot of privileges and I should utilize those privileges for the better instead of utilizing them and using it for like um, perpetuating that same corruption or like contributing to the same systems you know so I think being able to recognize like taking a step back recognizing my privilege and then utilizing it for the betterment of whoever comes my way mm, mm. Um, is a lesson that I would tell my younger self because younger self was also very selfish um, uh, but I mean it goes back to also just that whole idea of you know you want to provide for your family um, but then there's also like other people you want to be able to provide for so yeah I just thought of this what would you have what would you say to your pre-expo self pre-expo like self like just this last <laughs> June or May mm. self when you were preparing for mm. the trip I would tell pre-expo Raquel to not be scared because you're in for a really good I think you're in for a very like eye-opening and scary it's like a scary but very eye-opening and necessary experience like I remember before going on the trip I was already hesitant like what is this gonna do like I already knew it was gonna change me in a certain way but I didn't know what, to what extent so mm. I would tell pre-expo Raquel like don't be scared again invite change instead of straying away from it interesting mm -hmm. that you knew that it would change you have, have you ever held, had that feeling before going into something like oh i know this is gonna change me college <laughs> uh, <laughs> just okay. college but with this like i knew something because it was something that i knew i wanted to do um and i knew it was going to change me but i didn't know how drastic it would be mm -hmm. um yeah. but i wouldn't have changed it i wouldn't have changed my experience and i'm so glad that i ended up going on the trip mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Dope. Do you have any message for uh, yeah. maybe somebody who's thinking about mm -hmm. going on a trip or anything? I think or anyone. I think before going on an expo trip or even just like thinking about going on it, you need to understand your purpose and mm. like why you're going and like why you want to go on this trip. Because I think if you go on an expo trip without a purpose it's meaningless in a sense i mean you could find purpose throughout the whole trip you know like you can like end up you know finding purpose when you're within a community like oh this is why i'm on this trip or like oh maybe this is the reason why i'm on this trip but i think before going on the expo trip it's more powerful to have a purpose like um for me 
I already knew I was grounded in my identity and like my the purpose of me going on this trip was to really see firsthand like what the like basically taking what I learned in the classroom and like experiencing it firsthand mm. um that was my purpose of going on the trip like really seeing it for myself and I think that's what made the trip powerful because um I knew why I was going on this trip and I feel like folks should always have a purpose when doing things um because it makes the trip more meaningful and also like if you're going to go on an exo trip just be very again open to change because you will be confronted by a lot of um cultural differences and just like lifestyle like differences in lifestyle so um you definitely have to be op- very open minded when coming on the or like when going on these expo trips and also just like live in the moment like just absorb everything that's in front of you and like really take the interactions with any individual and like really just enjoy it mm. um and really just like yeah live in the moment because what you're only there in the philippines for 3 weeks a month you know so really take everything in um and then after the trip you should definitely like take what you've learned and share your experiences with other folks because then again not everyone has the opportunity to go on expo trips mm, mm. Mm-hmm. dope um what's this called how would Would you be down for people to contact you with any questions? Yeah, I'm actually down for that. I'm always I mean, I feel like even though it's been what 3-4 months since I've been back, I still find it really hard to try and talk about my experience. Mm. Like I can never find the right words, and I feel like I never will, which is okay, but I'm always open to like telling people about my experience even if like it's hard for me to describe what aspects of the trip mm-hmm. do you struggle with in terms of explaining or sharing mm-hmm. or like enunciating i think when it comes to like the facts of everything like oh new age is this or teletip is going through this i think it's very easy to for me to articulate that like the issues at hand but i think for me i still need time or like i feel like i'll never really process my true feelings during this trip Like hmm. my true thoughts. I'm not sure why. It's very weird. Like again, like when I'm trying to describe how I feel, I always end up using the word weird because yeah. that's how I feel. Yeah. Like it's very I just can't find the right words to explain my feelings. Um where's the weirdness coming from? Is it like from being back here? Is it a weirdness of seeing experiencing something there? I think it's being back here and also just trying to describe my experience with folks who haven't been on an expo trip mm. because um I think you need to see it firsthand to be able to um truly understand like what I went through but even if like talking to you and like Elizabeth and like folks who have been on expo trips like even though it's more easier for me to just to, to describe it's still really hard because we went through different experiences mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and like we went through different emotions so I think it's just like a very per- like expo trips are very personal and mm-hmm. I think that's why it's so hard to articulate You'll really be I think in a uh cl- uh what's the word like maybe close relationship with the people you were on the trip with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's just nice that we have a group chat together and like mm-hmm. if if we're still tra- like having a hard time readjusting like we can always reach out to each other which is nice. Um but I yeah, I'm open to anyone who has any questions about the expo trip, the Philippines or just anything. Like I'm a very open person. 
How can people get in contact with you? Um, I mean, I have an email. So my first or my last name, C-A-L-A-R-A. -A -A, my first name, R-A-Q-U-E-L, 98 at berkeley.edu. 98. Yeah. You were born 1998? Yeah, I'm young. Damn. I'm 20. Uh-huh. 1998. Yeah. It seems far though now. Yeah, it's 20 years. It's been 20 years. Damn, but that was the end of the 90s. Yeah, it seems like it's... It's only been what? It seems like it's not so far off, but it is in reality. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, you're what? I'm 28. No, wait, 27 Yeah, now. so you're seven years older yeah. than me. So you probably yeah. feel hella old when I say I'm born in 98, Yeah, when right? I see 98, I'm like, what? Yeah. Because I'm 91. Like, <laughs> and for my whole life, I've always mm. thought I was young. Like, because mm. I'm the youngest in my family. Oh, okay. Like that. Mm -hmm. And then now when it's 98 or... I have freshmen who I see on the rosters and they're 2000. I'm yeah, like, yeah. What? Yeah, I remember turning 20. I turned 20 like in September, so it's it was just recently. It just feels weird. Like cuz then as, as like a younger kid, you're like, "Oh, I can't wait to be in my 20s," you know? Like yeah, it's the most yeah. exciting. Like it's supposed to be the most exciting part of your life, but then you're here and it's like, "Ooh, I feel old." Like I should I feel like I should have my shit together. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry. <run. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> I'll take it, it from my you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Do you have any last messages to anyone? Any shout out? Um, I just wanted to say thank you for listening to me talk. I mean, it goes again. Like I'm not very articulate when it comes it's to all, my you did experience. Great. No, but, you were great. You were great. But yeah, hit me up if you have any questions about anything. So. Thank you for having no me. Problem. It was fun trying to unpack everything yeah, yeah, with yeah. the person. So. Still a process. Still it a is, process. yeah. So Still. I hope like me talking about my experience like inspires other folks to go on expo trips or just even mm. learn more about mm. the Philippines, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whether or not you're pill identifying. Like I think it's very important and rich history that we can't get like through the classrooms, you know. And in the next few months, join PCN. Yeah, join PCN. Mm. Um, <laughs> thanks for the plug. I forgot about that. Next semester, you should look out for auditions. So, yeah, PCN is a good space to be in. Awesome. Um, cool. cool. You're going to be joining, right? Yes. Yeah, yes, so yes. Quakers will be there too. Awesome. Mm. Thanks for coming. Yeah, no problem. Isang, Isang bagsak. <laughs> nice. Nice. Thanks.